the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. News. WTBN, Pinellas Park. How then does Jesus define mental adultery, inward adultery? See, when, when the Lord... When the Lord speaks of this, when he, what he says constitutes inward adultery isn't the casual glance of a man towards a woman, but a continuous look, a look with the purpose of desiring her for himself. Looking versus lusting. Don't cross that line. I remember once when my wife and I were on a long car trip and stopped for a restroom break. I was slow getting out of the car, and so she had a head start to the building entrance. A man was walking toward us, and as he passed her, he was obviously checking her out. I managed to resist both of the urges I felt. One urge was to compliment him on his good taste. The other one was to punch him in the mouth for looking at my wife like that. Well, we get more into the difference between seeing and lusting today on Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our study series is the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5. And today we're in the middle of Pastor Steve's message based on Jesus' teaching on adultery in verses 27 through 30. Here's Pastor Steve now to share two important truths Jesus gave us that will help us lead lives that are sexually pure. The first key truth about adultery that Jesus reveals is this. Number one, the traditional view of adultery is inadequate. It doesn't go far enough. It is very inadequate. We begin by looking at verse 27. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, let's, let's stop there. The Lord begins to approach the subject of adultery just like he did the law of murder. When he says, you have heard that it was said, he's really not quoting the Old Testament. What he is saying is, he's saying this, you have heard that the rabbis said this. You have heard that your ancient teachers said this, and this is what you're taught today. You have heard that this is the common rabbinical interpretation of this commandment. We know that's what he means because the very next phrase said, but I say to you, he would not be saying the Old Testament said this, but I'm telling you the truth. That that would be a contradiction. So he's talking about the rabbis. Once again, as with the law prohibiting murder, what we see by this is the ancient rabbis had a very narrow definition of this particular sin. Very narrow They defined it in a very, very strict way. Their attitude was, look, avoid the physical act of adultery and you're fine. You're being obedient to God. That's what he he wants. As long as you don't engage in sexual intimacy with anyone other than your spouse, then you're not guilty of breaking this commandment. Now, that was their interpretation. That was their view. And in all fairness to the ancient rabbis, as well as the scribes and the Pharisees of Christ's day, this interpretation of adultery wasn't completely wrong. Wasn't completely wrong. The Bible does forbid the outward act of adultery, and we don't want to minimize that. It certainly condemns it. In fact, it was such a serious sin under the Mosaic law that the punishment for this was death, execution. 
Leviticus 20 verse 10 says, If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So, so this was a very, very serious offense. That's why in the New Testament, the woman caught in the act of adultery, they wanted to pick up stones and kill her. And Jesus in mercy stepped in. But according to the law, that was the punishment. So the scribes and, and Pharisees, we have to say, didn't completely misunderstand the law involving adultery. But the problem is, and this is a big problem, in spite of that, they were guilty. They were not off the hook. These were not well-meaning men who just, oops, forgot something. They They were guilty of misinterpreting this law and intentionally doing it because they purposely ignored the deeper meaning of adultery. They very well knew, and don't miss this point, they very well knew that God wasn't interested only in the mere outward physical act of adultery, but that sexual purity in the mind, in the heart, in the thought life was what he was after too. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say, and I'm I'm saying it with dogmatism, that they very well knew that it wasn't just about the physical act. Why do I say that? Because just a few commandments down from the seventh commandment is another commandment, the tenth, which says that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Coveting is about inner desire. It's not about outward action. It's about inner lust. In other words, the Pharisees, the scribes, the ancient rabbis, and many today, they conveniently chose to ignore that aspect of adultery, conveniently, purposely, that inner coveting part that they very well knew they were guilty of. That's why they chose to ignore it. They knew they were guilty of it, and they deliberately chose to define adultery in terms that they were not guilty of. See, what they did is they shaped their theology to fit their lifestyle, not the other way around. Many still do that today. They shaped their theology to fit their lifestyle. They're involved in immorality, so they say, you know what? Immorality is fine. And that's what they were doing. I think John Stott really nails... The, the sin of the religious leaders when he said this, they gave a conveniently narrow definition of sexual sin and a conveniently broad definition of sexual purity. You know why? Because they thought they were fine. This was their self-righteousness. And the proof that God always intended, always intended the meaning of adultery to include inner lust as well as outward action was that Jesus affirmed that this was the true interpretation of this law, notice verse 28. But I say to you, in, in, in other words, in contrast with what you've been taught, I'm telling you what it always has meant. When in God's heart and mind, this is the true interpretation. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now remember back in verse 17, when Jesus said, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. Remember when he said that, he's explaining that he didn't come to give anything new. He just came to fulfill what the Old Testament had already taught. And that's, that's what he's saying here. The law about adultery has always been around. I'm just telling you, saying what, what, it's, what it's always taught, even though people misunderstood it. This isn't a new and novel teaching. Just confirming what, what should have been known by everyone, that the true and full an accurate meaning of thou shalt not commit adultery extends to the inner attitude of mental lust as well as the outward deed of sexual relations. Now, 
This is extremely important for us to understand, and I think it's easy for us to jump to conclusions and misunderstand what Jesus meant. So, so let's back up a little bit, and let's, before we move on, why don't we look here at, first of all, what he did not mean. Let's eliminate some things and say he didn't mean this, because I, as I said, I think it's very easy to, to jump the gun and misunderstand. The Lord didn't mean, first of all, that it's wrong for a man to admire the attractiveness of a woman. He wasn't teaching that at all. God made women to look good, and, and uh, they're to look good to men. And it's part of a man's humanity to notice female beauty. In fact, we might think it a little, in fact, we, not we might, we do think it a little bizarre and something wrong with a man who doesn't notice feminine beauty. So that's, that's not what he's talking about here. However, noticing a woman's attractiveness is not the same thing as lusting after her. There is a difference. Every man knows that difference. And certainly uh, Job in the Old Testament knew it because he said in Job 31, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a virgin. Job understood. Job said, I made an agreement. I've got a problem in this area. I know what a lustful look is. So I've made a pact with my eyes not to look that way. I'll tell you who illustrates this. King David in a negative way illustrates this because his sordid incident with Bathsheba illustrates that there is a distinction between noticing and lustfully looking. When, when he first noticed Bathsheba bathing on her roof, he wasn't at fault. He wasn't at fault. How could he not notice her? The Bible says she was a very beautiful woman. But instead of turning, what he should have done, instead of turning away from her and putting that mental image out of his mind, he entertained it. He entertained it and he committed adultery with her, first in his mind and then with his body. And so we want to be clear that looking is not the same thing as lusting. Secondly, we want to be clear that we understand that Jesus wasn't teaching that any sexual thought that pops up in your mind is sin. That initial thought is called in Scripture temptation, not sin. Temptation is not the same thing as sin. Temptation turns into sin. If that initial thought is nurtured and dwelt upon, it becomes sinful lust and mental adultery. But the initial thought is not sin. Dwelling on it becomes sin. So we understand that Jesus was not teaching, first of all, that noticing feminine beauty is wrong, or even being tempted by such beauty is in itself sinful. It's not. So how then does Jesus define mental adultery, inward adultery? See, when, when, the, Lord, when the Lord speaks of this, when he, what he says constitutes inward adultery isn't the casual glance of a man towards a woman, but a continuous look a look with the purpose of desiring her for himself. In fact, the Greek grammar here, the word look, reveals that it's it's not a normal healthy look. It's not a normal healthy look. It's an ongoing gaze. It's a repeated stare. It's with the goal of desiring an immoral relationship. In other words, what Jesus is forbidding is mental contemplation that if acted out would be immoral. That's what he's talking about. It's the, the look that he's talking about is a covetous look. It's, it's the look that says, I would if I could. That's what the Lord is saying. Kent Hughes explains the, the, the meaning of this lustful look when he writes this. It is not the first glance that is sin, but the second that swells with lust and feeds upon the subject. Christ's language is perfectly calculated. He uses a judicial form of statement that gives his pronouncement a final authoritative ring. The use of the aorist tense conveys that the person has already 
committed adultery with the woman. It is an accomplished, irreversible fact. This occurs in his heart. In the essence of his being, mental infidelity leaves one completely guilty. End of quote. Now, in, in light of what Jesus said about this lustful look, this ongoing gaze, mental adultery, want to once again be careful that we, we understand precisely what constitutes adultery in God's eyes. You, you really, if you miss this, you've, you kind of miss the whole thing. The Lord is not teaching that a lustful look leads to adultery. He's not teaching that at all. What he is teaching is that a lustful look is adultery in the heart. It's just like anger. The Lord wasn't saying that if you're angry, it might lead to murder, so don't be angry. He said that anger is murder. It's the same thing here. A lustful look may or may not lead to adultery. That's not the issue at all. But what he is teaching is a lustful look is adultery in the heart. The lustful look may, I should say, may lead to physical adultery, but that's not even the point. The point here is that a lustful look is adultery already in the heart. In God's sight, whether the actual deed is carried out or not, it's inconsequential in one sense, as far as God's sight, a lustful look and desire is adultery. Now, obviously, there are some differences between the physical act and the mental act, but as far as God says, adultery, what constitutes adultery, it's both, whether it's outward, whether it's inward. Now, at this point, I want to clarify something, lest somebody, and I know how wicked the human heart is. I want to clarify something so that somebody doesn't say, you know what? All this is irrelevant for me because I'm single. Yeah, I know how the heart works. It's irrelevant for me. I'm single. I'm not married. And someone may say, you know what? I'm, I'm female. I'm not a man. And Jesus is talking here, isn't he? About He's talking to married men. Well, in a strict sense, yes. The Lord is referring to the sin of adultery, which involves someone who's married. And yes, he is talking about a man lusting after a woman. But what he has to say certainly covers immorality of single individuals as well as women. In fact, if you try to to ignore this and say it doesn't apply to me, you are as guilty as the Pharisees in, in their whole approach to interpreting Scripture. You've got a very strict view that defines sin and shapes your theology to fit your behavior. Once again, John Stott says it so well when he, when he says this, to argue that the reference is only to a man lusting after a woman and not vice versa, or only to a married man and not an unmarried, since the offender is said to commit adultery, not fornication, it is, is to be guilty of the very reasoning which Jesus was condemning in the Pharisees. His emphasis is that any and every sexual practice which is immoral indeed is immoral also in look and in thought. The Bible condemns adultery, condemns immorality outside of marriage too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the first few verses are very clear about that. So you can refer to that on your own. So be careful that, that you don't just dismiss the Lord's words as irrelevant because you are, you're single, you're a woman. Mental lust is, is wrong regardless of your marital status or your gender. And it's a problem we all face. And it's, a, and it's extremely subtle and dangerous because it is done in the secret corners of our hearts that nobody else sees. Nobody else looks there. But God sees, God sees all, and God knows all. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.13, all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Many scriptures say the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, and he looks upon our heart. 
Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And God sees as he looks upon our hearts, he sees when we are involved in mental adultery. Now, having said all of this, this is where, knowing this, laying it out for us, this is where there's going to be a major difference between a genuine believer and a Pharisee type of false believer who, who is only interested in externals. This is where true righteousness is distinguished always from false Pharisaical righteousness. It's true, though, all, all believers in Christ struggle at times with inward lust. There, there's no one who's so sanctified that it never crosses their mind. And, and that includes, I might add, women who may fantasize what it would like to be married to another man. All, all believers in Christ struggle. A true follower of Christ, though, is committed to obeying God in his heart, even when no one else is around, even when no one else knows those secret sins that, that he or she thinks they could get away with, they want right between them and the Lord. They want to be right. So he's going to do everything possible to deal with inner lustful sin. He'll do anything and everything because he wants to honor the Lord even when no one sees what he is doing. On the other hand, there is a professing phony type believer, a Pharisee in evangelical clothing, who really doesn't care about committing adultery in his heart. All he's concerned about is that he didn't commit the outward deed. And more importantly, that others think that he's spiritual. Others think that he's morally upright. Others wouldn't think that he, that he has a problem in his, in his life. See, as long as he looks good on the outside, he's satisfied because that's all his life is. He's a Pharisee. He pretends to be a believer, but he's a Pharisee. That's the spirit of a Pharisee, and Jesus denounces that kind of hypocrisy by calling us to a commitment to inner genuine righteousness that deals with the sins in our hearts, something that Pharisees don't care about. That is the difference, folks. If you can hear about this, and and really uh, it doesn't bother you, or you go, yeah, I got this inner problem, but uh, nobody knows about it, so I can continue. Number one, you will get caught someday. Nobody's that good. They will, you will get caught. Your sin will find you out. But secondly, God already sees. And if you can just walk away from a message like this and, and it doesn't really bother you and you're just continuing to live a secret life, then you're not a believer. True believers say, you know what? I, I, I have a problem. I need help. What, is, what does the scripture say? How do I pursue righteousness in this arena? How do we live morally pure lives in an X-rated society? A society that's saturated with pornography, X-rated movies, nudity on television, magazines. Etc. How, do, how do we do that? Well, Jesus gives us a second truth about adultery that tells us exactly how to deal with inner lust. The first truth that he taught about adultery was that, number one, the traditional view of adultery is inadequate. It, it just doesn't go far enough. It, it tends to lead to a self-righteous attitude that says, if I just do this outwardly, then I'm fine with God. I'll live a, another life I'll have duplicity and live another life inwardly, but I'm fine with God. Everybody thinks that. I've deceived myself into thinking that. See, that view is, is inadequate. The second truth that Jesus taught about adultery is that sexual purity demands drastic action. It's not a thing to be taken lightly. Drastic action. Verses 29 and 30. He said, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. 
Now, I recognize these are some startling verses, startling verses. One Bible teacher said, this is tough teaching. It doesn't get any tougher than this. This is strong language, the strongest. But you know what? It's interesting. This was not the only time Jesus used language like this. In Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9, he used similar terminology, which would would lead us to believe that Jesus often spoke in language like this to convey how to deal with, with sin in our lives. This is probably one of his favorite sayings. The question, though, that we need to ask ourselves is, did he intend for us to take his words literally? Did Jesus mean that the way to have victory over lust was to pluck out an eye and cut off a hand? Well, as amazing as it might sound, there have been some Christians down through the ages who have taken his words literally. And in their zeal to gain victory over sin, they have mutilated themselves. The best known example in history is a man by the name of Origen of Alexandria, who is so convicted of his sinfulness in this area that in response to these verses, he had himself castrated. Which is, which is amazing, I think, uh, rather even, even humorous. I'm sure it wasn't humorous to him. But if you know anything about uh, interpreting the Bible, if you've ever studied the field of Bible interpretation, you know that Origen is credited with being the father of allegory. Allegory doesn't take the Bible literally. Yet, he took it rather literal here. I, I find that rather ironic. Every other place in Scripture he wanted to allegorize, but not this place. Apparently, he was not the only one who did this. In the early church, the first few centuries, there were others because in 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea actually had to step in and outlaw the practice of making oneself a eunuch. So there were others who followed. It was was a big enough problem that they had to make a, a rule about this. So what did Jesus mean by tearing out your eye and cutting off your hand and dealing with sexual sins? Well, we know that he couldn't possibly have meant do this literally. How do we know that? Well, for one thing, because that would contradict what the Bible says about mutilating your bodies. You're not to mutilate your body in a way like that. But also, and and primarily, we know that he couldn't possibly be talking about this because plucking out your eye and cutting off your hand won't solve a lust problem. All it would do is make you a one-eyed, one-handed adulterer. That's all it would do. (laughs) Doesn't really address the issue. Oh, the Lord is talking in figurative language. It's, it's hyperbole. A hyperbole is a deliberate exaggeration to make a point. Everybody should understand. Obviously, everybody but Origen and a few others should understand this. His point being is this, that sin must be dealt with drastically, drastically. Whatever causes you to sin sexually must be cut out of your life. That's what he's talking about. In other words, sexual sin demands drastic measures. Sexual sin demands cutting out anything from your life that that is keeping you from moral purity. Now, let's take this a little bit deeper and, and try to understand why Jesus expressed it exactly this way. Why did he speak of victory over sexual temptation by using the language of bodily parts being radically removed, surgically removed? Well, notice the specific parts of the, of the anatomy that Jesus identified as being torn and, and cut off. He said it's the right eye and the right hand. Now, why do you suppose he put it in those terms? Well, first of all, it's helpful to understand that he spoke of the right eye and the right hand as opposed to the left eye and the left hand because most people are right-handed and right-sided. And therefore, in the Jewish culture of that day, their perspective was that the right eye and the right hand were considered the most important parts of the body. I'm sorry, lefties, but that's what they considered. 
So they consider it more important to have your right hand and your right eye than to have your left hand and your left eye. So when Jesus spoke of the right eye, the right, the right hand, uh, he, he was saying that sexual purity demands that we cut out of our lives anything that contributes to adultery, uh, even if we highly value it, such as a right eye and a right hand. He's talking about what you cherish the most, what's most important to you. These are the things that, that are so meaningful, but if that's contributing to your sinfulness, then cut it out of your life. We may have to sacrifice things that we really like in order to be pure for our Lord, but it'll be well worth it in the long run. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For information about Lakeside, including service times and directions, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. If these radio Bible classes have been a blessing to you and you'd like to help support Verse by Verse, that's easy to do at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click the giving link to find out how. We appreciate each of you who gives so sacrificially over and above your regular offerings to your own church. That's at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson with something for you to consider till we meet again. If you needed surgery to remove a cancer, how much would you want the doctor to remove? <laughs> Dumb question, right? So why don't we feel that way about the cancer of sin? On our next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will explain that we need to be a lot more serious about removing sin from our lives. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.